0: Hey, Bankless Nation. We are so excited to bring you another community, ask me anything. We've got Yaniv from The Graph. He's the co-founder of The Graph Protocol. We're gonna dive into The Graph and what it does. Just some ground rules for you. So you may be watching this live on YouTube. If you are, you can ask questions. Uh, David and I will get to your questions on YouTube. We'll try to prioritize them the best way that we can. If you are a Bankless Premium member, we will also prioritize your questions in the Bankless Discord. This isn't ask me anything. So David and I have a list of questions, but we also want your participation. This is a great opportunity for us to figure out what's going on with this important piece of DeFi, Ethereum, crypto infrastructure known as the graph. Yaniv, welcome to Bankless. Welcome to the AMA. You ready for this? I'm ready. Hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, It's awesome to have you. We've been wanting to do this for quite some time. You know, I think we we should start is is just sort of an explain it like I'm five on the graph. So Bankless listeners, we're all familiar with DeFi. Uh, We're obviously familiar with kind of Ethereum, Bitcoin, and crypto, so we've got that base knowledge. Um, But what is the graph? It feels like it's this behind the scenes infrastructure What does it do? And uh, like, have we used it without knowing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I bet that you have. So, um, you know, the graph is an indexing protocol and the the explain it like I'm five is that, um, you know we organize all of the data from blockchains and make it easily accessible to applications. Um, So the the, the same way that, um, you know you wouldn't find a topic in a book by just kind of scanning page to page. You know, you need to have a table of context or an index that organizes that data, sorts it so you can easily find what you're looking for. You know, computers work exactly the same way. When you use applications, you know they're querying data from some underlying, um, you know, place. And uh, before the graph, people had to build custom, proprietary, centralized servers to index that data to make apps load quickly. Um, And now there's, um, you know, we've launched the Graph Network, which is a decentralized network where um, anyone can participate and run an indexer to help index the data for DeFi and Web3. Um, And uh, and people can now build fully decentralized applications that query that data from the Graph. And um, it's a,
2: a really just core uh, piece of infrastructure for building decentralized applications. Synthetix is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetix is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetix. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFi. Because Quenta is powered by Synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders, developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out Quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips, but with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card Okay, today. super cool. So, um, you know, Google is, is famously sort of a, an indexer for
0: the web, right? There's all of these different like websites that are pushed out there and they built a lot of tech over the years to help us find things on this permissionless system known as the internet, so they're kind of like, uh, you know, like an information indexer, if you will. It, is this kind of what the graph is doing for for blockchains and for crypto? It's just like searching through it, categorizing it, and making it easy for applications to to retrieve the data that they're looking for.
1: Yeah, I, I love that analogy because um, you know we do the same thing, right? Indexing, organizing all of this information. Um, so, you know, there's uh, some key similarities um, like that. And then the difference is that Google exposes that as, you know, a search box, right? You go to google.com and that's the interface is this kind of search engine, uh, whereas the graph exposes all of that data through APIs called subgraphs. And APIs are how developers build applications and how they interact with, you know, other computer systems. So, by having Um, you know, all of these open APIs built by developers for developers where all of that data is indexed, we can actually serve custom applications. So instead of it just being a search box, taking you to a website, um, you know, uh, you can have apps like Uniswap.info or the Synthetics Exchange or the Decentraland Marketplace. You know, all of these are very custom applications, but they all need to get their data from somewhere. They need to allow users to search filter, sort, you know, find relevant data, and they can do that all with the graph. So Yaniv, uh, you, you said that
0: we might be um, using the graph without being totally aware. What are some examples of, of where the, the graph is actually used for, for the typical bankless listener, the, the typical DeFi user? Um, do you have some examples
1: for us? Um, yeah, so, you know, in the DeFi world, um, you know, some of... Uh, uh, the, the projects I'm, I'm sure your listeners have used are, you know, Uniswap.info, Synthetics Exchange, uh, Ave Balancer, um, uh, just to name a few, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think at, at this point, um, you know, talk to basically just reach straight, for, uh, you know, uh, for the graph from day one, and it helps them, you know, get their products to market just significantly faster.
0: So this is uniswap.info. I don't know if you could see that, but I'm pulling that up on the screen for, for everyone who's watching over YouTube, right? And so I'm on the overview page. I'm looking at all of kind of the liquidity on Uniswap, all of, all of these various data points. This is what you're talking about, right? So um, you're, you're doing, the graph is doing the, the indexing and the data retrieval portion for all of these graphics, all of these dashboards, is that correct?
1: That's right. So, you know, it's loading the data for the charts for like those top tokens, you know, you can sort by liquidity or by volume, right by clicking on the column headers. So that's, you know, a query uh, with, uh, you know, sorting, Um, you know, if you click in on the tokens or on the pairs, you know, there's kind of, you know, historical transaction data um, and and volumes and all, all of that data is coming from the graph. Okay, very cool. And the reason
0: this is important, or one reason this is important is because of course, open finance is um, is better, as we say, than the traditional financial system, because the data is accessible to anyone on, on chain, basically, right? So if you want to see the um, who owns a specific token, which Ethereum addresses to that is, or if you want to see how much, um, how much value is collateralized in the die that you're holding that that underlies a collateralized debt position. Like this data is available on chain, but it's not necessarily accessible in a, in a user interface that you could see. And the graph is essentially making open finance accessible in, in user interfaces in places where, where people can see, and they don't have to kind of go
1: digging for it and run their own queries and, and find it. Right. Uh, th- that's right. And, and, you know, we think it's important that all of the infrastructure for DeFi and Web3 is decentralized. You know, we, we want to move away from, you know, these situations where, you know, a server goes down and, you know, an app stops working or um, people take dependencies on specific uh kind of centralized points of failure. You know, uh, anytime you have like one group of people decides, you know, these are the top DeFi protocols, or these are, you know, the metrics that you should be looking at to evaluate, you know, a synthetics or an Abe. Um, you know, those are decisions that um, uh, really should be transparent and that if people want to like, you know, fork them, they can fork them and and that uh you know, anyone can build applications easily on top of this data. And, um, you know, information works in these kinds of layers where, you know, it's constantly aggregated and repackaged. And so the more that these layers are, you know, stable infrastructure that teams can build upon, um, you know, the more amazing things we can build.
0: Okay, so now we get to kind of this question. So people have pointed to Application services like Infura as being a centralization vector for Ethereum and for DeFi, of course, Um, is the graph similar? Like, how does the graph um, prevent becoming a centralization vector in this open, this decentralized open finance thing that we're building?
1: Yeah, so, you know, that's exactly why we built uh, the graph network right initially we launched the graph as a hosted service and that was so that developers could start building on the graph and we wanted to make sure that you know we were building something that was useful for developers um, but we were aware of this risk from the very beginning, and it's why you know we from the from the beginning um, we set out to build the graph as a decentralized protocol. And last December, we actually launched the decentralized network. So in this network, it's an open permissionless network. Anybody can run an indexer to provide the indexing um, and query processing service to the network. As a client, you can choose who you want to connect to, and so you know all of that choice is on the client side. And uh, and and that specifically makes it so that there is no single point of failure, or single kind of like you know choke point, decision point on you know what is valid data, how should the data be indexed, and um, uh, and and ultimately when you bring this up to the API layer, you know that's kind of the top of the stack. That's where you're asking a question like you know um, you know what what NFTs. Are, uh, are for sale, sorted by you know, uh, price. And you don't want someone to be able to just you know, change the results, censor, you know, make these types of decisions on their own. And so you want to have some guarantees that the data that you're getting back when you're running that type of a query is correct. Um, and you just couldn't do that without something like the graph with this indexing layer, uh, initially when Ethereum first launched, there was kind of this vision of light clients really being the main way that you would interact with everything and light clients are, are really great because, um, you can basically, um, you know, verify, uh, you know, proofs on the client that some value that you requested is correct. Um, But you can only do that with a very narrow subset of uh, kind of operations. So, you know, about an Ethereum balance, you can verify that. But you can't do that for kind of like arbitrary views on data, which all, you know, applications produce custom arbitrary views on data. And so if we're going to have rich applications... That do all of the kinds of things that we're used to traditional, you know, web or mobile apps doing uh, we need to be able to actually transform and and consume, you know, much, uh, you know, broader sets of data uh, that have been transformed and organized and so you can do
2: that and still have it be verifiable on the graph. Yaniv, I think it would be helpful if we talked about what would what are the potential attack vectors if the services that are provided by the graph are remain services provided by centralized intermediaries. Um, Like what what are the attack vectors? What are the risks if centralized services are become the dominant? indexer for for defi like are are there like uh, attack vectors that could be exploited or where, where where what could go wrong if this service that is provided by the graph remains uh, in the hands of centralized intermediaries um yeah you know
1: it could be everything from you know raising prices and suddenly everything starts to get expensive you know making ma- doing you know making censorship decisions around like you know either you know this dapp just isn't allowed or you know even more granularly than that. You know, imagine you have an you know an NFT marketplace, and then there's a certain set of NFTs that basically, you know, the service provider just says, like, hey, you can't have these NFTs. And they start making those types of decisions. Um, you know, kicking off developers. Um, uh, and then, you know, just uh, uh, you know, so so these are all types of like attack vectors. Um, but but ultimately I think central the, the problem with centralization is that uh, you know every you know the, these things require a lot of development and a lot of effort. You know we're kind of we're at the beginning of building out like a, an entire new financial and information you know infrastructure, and you know it. it Developers don't want to contribute to something that is owned and controlled by a corporation that can make these types of decisions, just like on their own. Like we've we've done that, you know, we've been there, and and uh, and and now we're going to rebuild the stack so that it doesn't have the same pitfalls and problems. Um, and so by having a decentralized protocol, what you have is a shelling point where people know it's worth investing my time, you know, to this thing because I know it's going to be around in a hundred years. You know it's not going to be co-opted um and uh and, and that allows just a, tre- a tremendous amount of development to get concentrated um for the public good you know something that anybody can then use uh, because you know everybody can contribute to
2: it maybe let's talk about the components that network participants contribute to the graph and how the graph uses these components to offer its product right so as an individual uh what uh, what What can I offer to the graph that the graph needs in order to be able to uh, create its product?
1: Um, yeah, you know it really depends on your skills. I mean, the main roles in the network are indexers, curators, and delegators. The indexers are the ones that are running the nodes. so if if you've like run an Ethereum node, for example, and you know how to do that, then you could look at becoming an indexer on the network. Um, we have uh, curators. Those are the ones that understand the data that's being indexed and are organizing the data on the graph. Um, They could be subgraph developers, for example. Um, uh, So anyone can build a subgraph that indexes data and makes it available over GraphQL. Or um, the curators uh, can also uh, signal on subgraphs to basically evaluate the subgraphs, figure out which ones are highest quality and should be used by applications. And then um, they can signal on those subgraphs to uh, make it easier for others to find it. And it also impacts the economics for the indexers. Um, And then finally, we've got the delegators um, who help secure the network, but, um, you know, they may not be uh, as technical themselves, so they can just find indexers that they think are doing a good job and just delegate their tokens to those indexers, um, which allows uh, the indexers to earn more fees and rewards. Um, which they pass back to their delegators.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the token and the uh, economics of the protocol. How, uh, so every single protocol that has a token uh, is using this token to incent, to manage incentives. How does the graph use its token to manage incentives and perpetuate the network?
1: Um, Yeah, so it's used for staking by indexers, delegating by delegators and signaling by curators, and also, as query fees um, uh, by consumers that are querying the network. So, um, you know, first and foremost, it's a staking token. It creates economic security. So the indexers that provide the service in the network have to stake tokens um, so that if they misbehave, they can be slashed. Um, uh, They then set their uh, query fees also in uh, GRT. Uh, and indexers can choose what subgraphs they want to index, and they can set their prices very granularly. And those fees are uh, paid using state channels. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, uh, I believe the largest, like large-scale deployment of state channels in production on Ethereum. Um, uh, and uh, Wait,
0: I had no idea. Why state channels? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I guess that makes it more decentralized. Yeah, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we did a, a partnership um, with the State Channels team uh, in consensus R&D and Connects, And, um, you know, we evaluated the different options of doing payments. Uh, you know, in the graph, you, you have this very, like, many-to-many style relationships of payments where you can have, like, lots of different consumers and lots of different indexers. And the actual payment amounts are quite small, you know, just a small fraction of a cent per query. And we wanted to ensure that um, you know, the queries themselves can differ significantly in expense. You know, most queries are a very small fraction of a cent, but you could have like a larger, like analytic style query that you know, could take a second to execute or something. As a service provider, you wanna know that you're gonna get paid you know, if you do that work. And so um, we have a construction uh called you know conditional uh micropayments. Um we also use this term like way blocks. Uh, and it basically ensures that uh when you get a query response back from an indexer, um, it comes back with an attestation. And if uh the query response that you got back is incorrect, then you can submit a dispute on-chain and the indexer is liable and can be slashed than if they gave you the incorrect response back. Um, So that whole kind of interaction happens inside of a state channel. It's a state channel game, and it allows you, you know, to, you know, an indexer can be collect, you know, doing millions or even billions of queries a day. You know, it's very fast and cheap, and then they just settle those channels on chain, um, you know, whatever frequency they want. It could be daily or weekly, and collect their funds.
0: This is amazing. So I, I had no idea that you guys were, were doing this with with state channels. So this is this is really making it like scaling a decentralized and like payment layer for you. That's really necessary for your your work token, your your entire token economics, and you're keeping it decentralized using state channels. So how many like how many transactions per second can this support? That do, do you need additional you know scaling? T- Tech to support this payments use case, or state channels
1: give you what you need. State channels gives us what we need, so you know we could you know scale up to you know billions or you know more queries per day on this tech, and uh, and and uh, and it works great. I think we are evaluating you know layer two um, scaling solutions for uh, some of our core protocol smart contracts because interacting with the protocol itself, you know, you're subject to all the same kind of gas. Uh, issues as uh, as other protocols, so we like to bring those costs down for when you do have to make on-chain interactions. Uh, but for the query processing and the query fees, the state channels um, is actually working really great. That's probably a, about- a
2: combination of uh, the both the, both the need for micropayments as well as the need for immediate payments. Is is the immediacy of payments a a, a nice feature that state uh, state channels offer, or is that something I'm generally unrelated? um well it, it, you, you do want the property that
1: you know once um a, a query has been served basically mm-hmm. like the transaction is, right. is finished and right. like, the parties know that like the value has been transferred right so, so waiting
2: for an ethereum uh, block is a, is too slow right
1: yeah yeah ex- exactly i mean you know if you think about most applications you know if you're using like facebook or twitter you know you're just you're consuming or reading so much more data than right. you're writing you right. know like the number of tweets versus you know you scrolling a feed mm-hmm. so you know the 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 querying is happening like constantly all of the time and so
2: that just needs
1: to be fast and instant right.
2: so th- this so, token seems to be to t- in my mind it maps on to i think the chainlink token model um and so correct me if i'm wrong but like there is people that are staking on the promise to provide accurate data to the network, there's people that are consuming that data that are paying fees in the native token, um, and, and then there's also the, the, uh, the, the protocol itself, which is uh, an economic, a crypto economic protocol that's meant to provide data to the world. Um, is that a fair comparison, would you say?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, I'm excited for the Chainlink staking to go live because um, that's, that's not in production yet, but I believe it's a similar sort of model. And, um, you know, we could, you know, I, I love the chain link also c- comparison where, you know, they help bring, you know, uh, real world data on chain and we help bring on chain data to the real world. So we're very much these kind of like dual middleware protocols. Yeah. They, Wait, yeah do you guys yeah. have a
0: green frog army though? You have a green frog <laughs> army or no,
1: no we don't. We're, we're currently recruiting. So you know, <laughs> 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 we, we need you. Uh, <laughs>
0: So speaking of that, right? So like David was getting to this uh, earlier, and I think you touched on it. We actually did a bankless tactic on this about like how to um, how to work essentially for the graph network. So what you just described is basically the graph is paying for what the graph network needs using its its token economics, right? And the things it needs are curation, delegation, but also indexing, right? And so like a, a number of folks that are active in these DeFi protocols. Um, have done some work on curation right it's fairly simple not super technically um complex and then also delegation is something we do in almost every protocol that's staking right can we talk about this indexer function though this is this is um more technical but this to me is the like the question of decentralization because if it's really hard to run an indexer if i have to be like a um a super sophisticated uh, DevOps with my own data center in my b- backyard, right? Like that's less decentralized than something like eth 2 which is I can run a v- like validator on my laptop hardware, right? And I'm guessing it's not like we can run an index on our laptop hardware necessarily. It's maybe it's maybe somewhere in between. But can you talk about the the complexity of actually running an indexer? Do I have to be a sophisticated, Network uh, operator with like my own data center, all this provisioned, or is it a bit more do it yourself? And, and how does that scale? Because that to me is a centralization vector in, in the network.
1: Um, yeah. So, you know, I think of decentralization for a network like ours differently from, you know, as, as I would for like a, a layer one blockchain. You know, I think Ethereum made a great set of trade-offs to, you know, be maximally decentralized for validation. And I think for a layer one chain, you know, that, that is really important. Um, for uh, what we're doing, it's kind of like a service protocol. Uh, that's what we've coined it, different from like a layer one where, you know, we're providing a service to the network, it's, it's this indexing, and it's very kind of heterogeneous. So each indexer chooses which subgraphs they want to index they're not all doing the same work right and then the client chooses which service provider they want to do business with so they have complete control i can say you know i I really don't trust these indexers over here i just don't you know for whatever reason i want my money to go over here and you can choose which service providers you do business with and so because the the user's in control you know they you know it, it, it is kind of you know produces choice from that perspective. And then, you know, for a network like the graph what's really important is kind of like marketplace dynamics, you know, you want it to be easy for new service providers to provide their service, you want there to be lots of choice, you know consumer choice so. Um, so consumers can choose which indexers they want to uh, do business with and um, and you want to have competitive prices and a, a very high quality of service, so you know for that. You know, it makes a big difference whether an indexer can like serve a query, you know, in like 0.1 seconds, or you know, versus you know, two seconds. So you, you actually do want this level of kind of competitiveness, and 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 um, you know, serving data and processing data is something where you you want folks to have BP setups. You want it to be you know so that they can provide that service really uh, efficiently. So. Um, uh, so so generally, the people running indexers are ones that have access to faster servers. You know, we want it to be something that anybody can do. So that, like, barrier to entry, you know, is is fairly low. You know, if you have a server set, a reasonably fast computer in your home, you could actually be an indexer. But we also, you know, want there to be um, ways for people to compete on the higher end of the spectrum, where they're, you know, providing a faster service and maybe it just costs a little bit more.
2: I think one of the most elegant things about Ethereum and what good applications can do on Ethereum is let the free market come into their protocol and leverage market-based incentives to produce a quality product. And I'm getting vibes of like uh, shard- sharding here. So Ethereum scales by sharding out computational resources to 64 different shards and so we get 64 times the scale because each person doesn't have to process all of the data only a subset of the data. And that seems to be a similar pattern that the graph is going here where, um, and, and they're actually, ma- you guys are actually making this even more free where you can just say like, you know, process whatever data that you want, but you'll only be compensated if the market actually wants that data. And in, in addition, I would imagine that there is certain amounts of data about Ethereum that's just simply more in demand than others. Perhaps like, Data around Uniswap might be more in demand than data around CryptoKitties, uh, and it seems to be like the token that uh, would be the substrate that allows that free market to become expressed. Maybe maybe you can talk about how data in demand data will become uh, better served over time and allow kind of the free market to come out and produce a quality product here. Talk about a little bit of the free market relationship with uh, uh, data that's in demand.
1: Yeah, th- those are great insights. So. You know, right now, subgraphs are kind of the the units of composition. Um, So, you know, there are, you know, there's a Uniswap subgraph, synthetic subgraph, and, um, you know, soon people will actually be able to like compose those subgraphs into like aggregated subgraphs. So you have this this unit that which is the subgraph. From there, an indexer can choose which subgraphs they want to index based on, you know, like you said, demand, what the current prices are in the market, You know, if they think that they can do it, you know, more effectively than others. So they choose the subgraphs and then they can set the prices granularly. So they can see like these types of queries are really expensive for my database to run. I'm going to run, you know, charge a little bit more, or, you know, I've been able to cache this data. I know like every time someone loads Uniswap.info, they make this type of query. So I'm just going to like cache it and I'm going to serve it super fast, super cheap. So um, uh, the indexers can set their prices really granularly in this query market. And, um, you know, I think that kind of a uh, flexibility is, you know, really exciting for this type of a thing because databases are, you know, notoriously difficult to optimize. You know, most like, you know, web companies, they'll have dedicated, you know, DBAs or database administrators whose job is to make sure that like, you know, an app developer doesn't accidentally, like, run a query that, like, takes the whole database down, you know, and and it's actually really easy to do that, um, because, you know, for certain applications, you know, the types of queries that you run, you know, some can be really simple and take, like, no time at all, and then some can take, like, a minute and, like, bring the entire database down. So, um, to have, actually, this kind of, you know, uh, open market for, indexing data you know, basically allows you to have like this distributed decentralized DBA team sitting there optimizing database access, figuring out how are people you know, accessing data today? What types of applications are they running? They can go in, make the necessary optimizations and make sure that basically all of the DApps on DeFi and Web3 are super fast, performant and cheap and the developers just don't need to think about it.
2: How does this help solve uh, the Ethereum ecosystem's dependency on Infura? Is this related?
1: Yeah, well, you, you know, the, the graph is kind of a, you know, it's a layer on top of, you know, the, uh, the, the blockchain node providers themselves. So, you know, an indexer could choose to use Infura, you know, as it's Ethereum node, or they could run their own. Um, We have noticed that most of our indexers, you know, have chosen to run their own archive nodes, which I think is is great for decentralization. So they're actually validating the chain themselves and then, um, you know, running this indexer on top. Uh, So, you know, ultimately, I think you know, we can move to a world where, you know, there are, you know, hundreds or thousands, many thousands of indexers. Each one is validating the underlying networks um, whose data they're processing. They're serving it up over the graph and then the clients can in an automated fashion do the indexer selection. And I think you end up with a a much more robust and decentralized uh, infrastructure layer.
0: So Yaniv, you started the graph, like co-founded it a couple of years ago. Is that correct? Like 2018?
1: Yeah, we, we, we started on it kind of Christmas break 2017.
0: Okay. All right. So um, you obviously had an inkling that crypto blockchain would be important and that there would, there would need to be a lot of data that required indexing. Um, but did you see it playing out in this way? Like, is all of this surprising to you or did you anticipate it going exactly the way it's gone?
1: Yeah, honestly, it's kind of scary how little the vision's changed. And, and by, by little, I mean, basically, yeah, we, we you know, the, the vision that we saw is uh, nothing's changed about it. I think um, we didn't expect the big crash. We didn't expect, uh, you know, some elements of it to uh, kind of take as long as it has to kind of progress. And if you asked me in 2017 how long I thought it would take to like build the graph, I probably would have told you like a year or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it, it was a lot of work. I think that's that's the thing that I've really appreciated is just, uh, you know, how much work goes into building a protocol, how much work goes into like getting developer adoption and building tools that, uh, that, that you know, developers are, are excited and happy to use. Um, but, uh, but, but the vision has played out basically exactly as we initially you know set out for. So
0: how about the applications, right? So in a way the graph is kind of privileged because you don't really have to take a bet on what applications even like what areas on top of something like Ethereum become successful, right? Is it like in, in the, the end of 2017, everyone was talking about Web3, right? A decentralized, uh, you know, Web2 type companies, right? Um, you know, it turned out that the, the, the first major use case uh, on Ethereum was more money type use cases, more like DeFi yeah. type use cases, at least that's first. But you guys didn't really have to take a bet on which applications, which use cases would be successful on top of this infrastructure, because you're like the, you know, picks and shovels type of infrastructure type of um, play. But let me ask you, were you personally surprised about DeFi and how it's gone or the use cases that have popped up in the cryptosphere? Or did that play out how you thought it would? Yeah, yeah,
1: that. That that was surprising, you know. I think you know. I, rem- I remember when there was like a billion locked in DeFi, and that just seemed like enormous. And already we see like you know how, how quickly we've grown from there. So um, you know that that came by surprise like a storm, and um, uh, you know really excited to see how how well DeFi has progressed. Um, I I do think we thought that Web three would uh, you know happen sooner. And when we were getting started building, it's like we were focused on our protocol and we just assumed that all of the other protocols were doing the same and that they would just come together, you know, relatively quickly. And I think, you know, by the end of 2018, it was clear that like a lot of these other things outside of our control were just going to take longer to kind of get, you know, get to market. But I think, you know, people kind of, you know, kinda, you know they, they overestimate what they're gonna see in the short term and they underestimate what they're gonna see in the long term. And I think that actually a lot of the initial ideas that people had, I mean, even things like state channels, like we were talking about, like in 2017, people were talking about these things like they were gonna happen immediately. You know, Plasma is about to launch and all of these things are, are, are about to launch. They've taken a little bit longer but you know, uh, it really feels to me like 2021 is the year you know, for, for Web3 and that there are all of these incredible protocols that have really been under development now for like three years and are just kind of getting to market. And I think we'll be able to put these Web3 protocols together and actually build you know, a, a comprehensive you know, stack that allows you to build just incredible applications um, but where all of the data is verifiable. Right, where it's actually on this, um, you know, more trustworthy foundation um, that, you know, we can all build on top of. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the timing is, is right. I mean, you know, you see all of the stuff happening uh, with censorship and centralized control, you know, from governments to large corporations getting, you know, pressured. Um, you know, society, I think, has woken up to those risks. Um, and at the same time, you know, the financial system, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny, you know, watching what's happening with like GameStop, you know, where, you know, you see, you see these hedge funds literally like just distorting the system and corrupting it and like using it to their advantage. And, you know, I feel like ordinary people have just gotten like the, the the brunt end of the stick for so long, basically just being told, you know, you got to play by the rules and, uh, and 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 like you know, this is the game. And then and then you just see you know Wall Street just taking advantage. Um, and uh, and and so all of these uh, you know he- headwinds are kind of you know colliding. It's a perfect storm right now for DeFi and Web three. And you know we just need to put these you know last few pieces of the stack together so that people can really build. Great decentralized applications and that it's 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 simple you know exactly like this is what it means to be a decentralized application, this is how we do it, this is how it plugs in and once that foundation is in place. I think, you know, we're going to see just like an explosion in the number of dApps, because I think uh, I think the world's ready for it. Aave is
2: a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version two, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield and composability all in one application. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com, that's A-A-V-E. Aave is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got back into crypto back in 2017 and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni, and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and on or off ramp services that I've needed to on a moment's notice. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it to. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out. Gemini.com slash go bankless. So, DeFi hit product market fit,
0: but I've read in some of your previous writings, it sounds like you are still bullish longer term on this, this Web3 decentralized kind of internet, decentralized social type movement. Is that the case?
1: Absolutely. I think it's going to come sooner than people realize. And, um, you know, I think this is the year that we basically put the Web3 stack together. And then, uh, and then I think, uh, you know, we're going to be ready. It's, 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 it's going to happen.
2: Yaniv, I got a question from YouTube that I want to get to as well as a few others. Uh, the first one is, is the graph married to Ethereum or are there other uh, L1 blockchains that the graph is working with? You know,
1: we, we, we do think it's going to be a, a multi-chain future. Uh, you know, I think Ethereum is going to be, I would imagine, you know, the, uh, the most valuable kind of like primary chain. Um, but I think there are different points in the trade-off space and just even for resilience and decentralization sake itself, it's good to kind of have backups and, and, uh, you know, different alternatives. Um, and so I think, I think ultimately, you know, uh, people can choose where they deploy what contracts based on, you know, their needs and that, uh, you know, we can stitch all of these things together into like a larger decentralized platform.
0: About about um, layer two? How does that kind of rock your world, right? So we've, we've got synthetics and they're, they're just testing out uh, layer two on optimistic rollup. Uh, it looks like we've got things like loop ring as well. It, it looks like Uniswap may do that. So in the future, uh, I would imagine an index network like the graph will have to pull from not just Ethereum main chain, but also all of these other layer twos. Uh, does that really rock your world, or do you have the infrastructure set up for that, and are are ready for that challenge?
1: Yeah, we're we're ready for it. So you know, that's it's definitely coming up, and we're super excited about layer two. I think it's going to allow just so many more different types of DApps to get built with Ethereum's security, um, and and we're we're super excited for that. So yeah, I mean, the graph is going to have to index data from you know ETH one, from ETH two, all the different shards, all the different layer twos. All the different, you know, side chains and other chains, um, uh, storage networks, you know, like Filecoin, Arweave, Sia. Um, So it's just a, you know, tremendous amount of data that that's al- already exists in, in the uh, you know Web three ecosystem,
2: and uh, and and there's going to be a lot more on the way. Here's another question from YouTube about the, the token distribution. Can you tell us about how the token was distributed to the world?
1: Yeah, so um, we did a, a, a number of programs to help kind of uh, uh, you know, bring out the, 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 the graphs community and, and to recognize people for the work that they contributed to the network. Um, so we did a, a test net um, to get the initial set of indexers on board. We had 200 indexers from all around the world. Um, they got about uh, you know, 3% of the network. Um, we did a curator program um, that was, uh, you know, the uh, e- either subgraph developers or people that wanted to like learn how to, um, you know, curate and organize data on the graph, and that was just an incredible experience. Um, you know, I think it was something that was really brand new, and that I hope that other protocols uh, key off of. You know, it was basically this, you know, massively multiplayer online vocational training program. By teaching people, you know, new skills, you know, to perform a new job, you know, how to work for a decentralized protocol, and you know, I think that is just the future, right? Just you know, hundreds and thousands of permissionless jobs. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, you know. Here's the the educational materials. You know, here's how you know the skills that you can um, learn to perform this job, and then have at it. Um, nothing standing in your way. You don't have to ask for permission. Um, so we did that with curators and, and we allocated an initial uh, uh, distribution of tokens to them. Uh, we did a token sale. How big was that distribution, that was another if I one can ask? We, how, how, what what uh, was the percentage one? of the, the
2: what we were you just talking about, the distribution for the vocational The curator t-shirt. program was yeah. about three. Yeah, the okay. curator
1: program was, uh, was about 3%. Uh, and then we did uh, the, uh, um, the token sale. Uh, the 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 public token sale portion was uh, was four percent, and that one we also did very differently. We did a custom uh, token sale design, built our own smart contracts, our own UI. It ran on the graph, which by the way it it ran flawlessly. And you know a, a lot of these token sales that are done on centralized platforms, you know there have been a lot of hiccups where like you know the sites just crash, and there's all of these questions about like who got in and why. And and so actually, really showing that like the DeFi and Web3 infrastructure is just already better than centralized you know platforms for a lot of things. Um, so in that sale, uh, the way that we designed it was pretty different. Where we had these three phases, and we you know we KYCed everybody you know because we had to, and uh, there was a questionnaire. You know, what excites you about DeFi and Web3? You know, how would you describe the value of the graph? And based on the answers to those questions we prioritize folks that really understand you know what the graph is and we're aligned with the mission and wanted to contribute and and we prioritize them for the first phase where they had a guaranteed allocation. Um, it was small allocations of 1000 to $5,000 but that way we were able to get 45,000 individuals. In, it was kind of this anti Sybil, and these are people that are all really like aligned with the mission of the graph. Um, so I, I felt that that design worked really well for, for distribution.
2: How did you go through 45,000 people who, d- who had to do that job?
1: Oh, sorry, 4,500. Oh, okay, and, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 4,500. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there were 20,000 applications, um, wow. so uh. So, so not, not everybody was able to, to get in the, the second phase sold out in 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, all the transactions were from the first few seconds. Awesome. Um, that sounds like, that's a pretty but cool. Yeah, it was...
2: Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Just so, you know, it, it was very hands-on and it was a lot of work from our business team to kind of help coordinate, mm-hmm. but really our, our general approach, which I think was, was kind of unique is, um, you know, we, we want to. Uh, we wanted to reward real contributions, right? People that understood you know what the protocol is trying to accomplish and were actually contributing in, in in some way. And there's lots of different ways to contribute to a protocol. But you know that kind of a system where we're basically the initial team is playing a pretty active role in the beginning you know, using maybe some amounts of judgment, even, you know, uh, which, which may be a subjective, but I actually think that, you know, some amount of judgment in the early days is, I think a lot better than kind of like bl- blanket, you know, systematic lack of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it, 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 does allow the community members that are really active to be recognized and rewarded. And I think it's been a big part in allowing us to actually build like a really, um, you know, kind of diehard
2: community. I, I totally agree. I think the surgical use of token distribution, especially at Genesis, if any other time, specifically during Genesis, the surgical, Use of the token distribution, I think, uh, just makes the most sense because it's that's the first impression of the protocol, right? Like you need to incent the right people at the very beginning, most of all. And so I think top-down choice around around the token distribution at genesis, I think, makes a ton of sense to bootstrapping the right community. What about what about the remaining supply of tokens? Are there are there like VCs, uh, VC investors, or there are there team allocations? Like where are the bulk of the tokens laying?
1: yeah so um there, i believe it's somewhere around a third was for the initial kind of staff supporters so you know um we uh took in first capital uh in uh, 2018 and it was you know two to three years of development to even you know bring the protocol to market so that was uh funded through pre-sales of the token um the uh initial team members have an allocation um, Edge and Node has an allocation. So that's now um, the initial team uh, is, uh, has this new entity, Edge and Node. Um, and we've got some, some announcements we're going to be making about our participation in the ecosystem. So uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, the, the Graph Foundation has the largest kind of uh, you know, remaining portion there. It's about 20% is for the foundation to be distributed via grants and uh, hopefully eventually a DAO. Um, so uh, the grant applications I believe for the first wave just closed uh, but we got just a ton of uh, really great quality submissions for folks that want to contribute to the network you know either development or you know community building lots of different ways for people to contribute um, so uh, the graph foundation which is uh, 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 led up by Eva, Eva Balin, is going through those submissions and uh, and uh, we're going to start you know distributing grants um and those those are uh, the big buckets
2: fantastic let's talk about the the future roadmap for the graph what you guys have on the horizon and by the way people watching on the youtube a thanks for being here b last chance to get your questions in for yaniv before we sign off uh yaniv before those questions come in maybe you can talk to us about the future roadmap of the graph like where is the next you know 6 12 18 months of development taking us and what are you guys uh, trying to roll out in that time
1: yeah. So you know, first thing on our, our mind is um, you know the tr- the full transition over the to the decentralized network. Um, you know, as, as of the end of last year, we were processing ten billion queries per month on our hosted service, and um, and now we're kind of transitioning uh, you know over to the decentralized network. So um, uh, we're going to be launching a graph gateway, which makes it really easy for developers to publish their subgraphs to the decentralized network and. Uh, pay query fees in GRT for those subgraphs, um, and uh, there's also going to be a new graph explorer um, for people to browse and discover. You know the the the, the mainnet subgraphs. Um, that's going to be what creates the full kind of self-service experience for developers to to really get running on the network. And so there's going to be this kind of migration process from the hosted service to the decentralized network. Um, we're also going to be expanding. Multi-chain. Um, that's going to be a community effort, working with a lot of people, um, you know, in in the community to uh, actually bring that to fruition. Um, so excited for that kind of expansion. And then, uh, generally, you know, in twenty twenty one, we really want to be focused on you know, building out that uh, web three stack and really getting it to a point where there's a really cohesive platform that's super easy for developers to build on. And that gives you all of the properties that we want from decentralization. Um, so that's, that's going to be the focus for the rest of the year.
0: Can we talk about this? Cause I think you've got a good take on this. Uh, you need to is what about the roadmap for this whole thing that we're calling open finance or, and or web three Okay, So it seems like we have some of the building blocks here. So uh, Bitcoin started as sort of a store of value. We've got that thing, uh, that primitive. We've got Ethereum, we've got Ether, which we'd argue is also sort of a, a store of value and all of these, these money Legos on top of Ethereum. So it feels like we have this DeFi set of primitives. We almost have like decentralized banking and money for the, the space. Then we've got the graph, which is a decentralized indexer. Then we have things like um, IPFS and Filecoin, which are doing decentralized storage. Um, what other pieces do we need? If you're looking at the high level road roadmap for this whole decentralized stack, what else is missing?
1: Yeah, all of the pieces are being worked on. And there's a few questions about kind of how they integrate together. Um, ones uh, maybe that weren't in that list that I would add are identity and reputation, I think are really key primitives. Um, uh, you know, obviously things like layer two scalability, but there's, I, I think the Web3 stack is gonna be about you know, 20 protocols, some that are doing the same kinds of things and you can choose, you know, do I wanna use SIA or Filecoin or you know, for storage or you know, there's some duplication there. But ultimately, I think you know it's going to be around a dozen to twenty protocols. You know, some a, a few different like kind of components, and then they kind of need to be stitched together. And I think you know we're basically still at the phase right now where we're just kind of assembling these Lego blocks. Um, I think we also need like design patterns. So like staking and delegation, for example, I think is a fairly mature as a design pattern. You, you, know, um, you know, the way that we use it in the graph, for example, like it, it, it works really well. And there are enough protocols that do staking where we kind of like understand the design space, you know, governance, you know, is, you know, the like the compound governance contracts have emerged as a bit of a standard, but there, there's still, you know, different kinds of templates and design patterns that we need to come up with that makes it real, you know, really easy to build new protocols. And ultimately, I think that uh, we'll get to a point where, you know, to build a protocol, you know, you'll ask yourself, you know, a few sets of questions and you'll kind of pull from the, the right kind of building blocks to kind of like assemble. Here's how the protocol is generally going to be orchestrated. There might be things that you need to customize, but, um, but the design patterns, those Lego blocks will be well established. And, uh, and, and once we get to that point, I think we can go from having you know, maybe like a dozen or or two dozen like well thought out protocols to having like tens of thousands of protocols. And ultimately I think that's gonna be the next wave that we enter where we actually start to decentralize everything. You know, we start using these tools to build protocols for every part of the economy. All of that is gonna be organized on the graph. Uh, People will be able to build decentralized applications on top of that but we go from you know, basically being in the lab, tinkering around with toys to actually just rewiring how society is organized. And,
2: uh, and I think it's gonna come out as fast. That's pretty cool. I got one final question from the YouTube I wanna ask. Are there any other graph competitors out there? Who else is, are, is trying to serve the same sort of uh, purpose? Well, the the main kind of thing that
1: we compete against is teams building their own centralized indexing. And, you know, I think because uh, you kind of couldn't really build fully decentralized applications over the last several years, it's kind of become acceptable that teams say, like, you know what, we're going to have to run a server anyways. Let's have the server do more and more stuff. And, you know, it, 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 it's it's challenging because in the short term, maybe nobody's calling them on it, but but they're kind of building themselves into a corner because ultimately we are going to move to a world where like you just don't want teams to run servers and it's going to be kind of like, a, you know, a red flag if some application that you're, you're using requires like a team to run a custom server. And so the, the sooner we get to a point where uh, teams are building their protocols and their dApps on purely on open protocols, um, you know, the sooner we can, you know, get to the future.
2: Yeah. do they have, do you have any metrics for us about like how used the graph is like queries per day or queries per minute or something? Is that a, what, what's the right metric to uh, evaluate how used the graph is being?
1: Yeah. The, the latest metric that we had was 10 billion queries a month. Um, that was on our hosted service, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, we're in the process now of transitioning over to the decentralized network. Also, number of subgraphs is a big one that we track. I believe that the latest is 7,000 subgraphs deployed to the hosted service. Um, we have hidden subgraphs that don't show up in the explorer, uh, and we count that in that figure. So, 7,000 uh, subgraphs uh, published. And we also track kind of number of developers, which are you know in, in the, the many thousands.
2: Okay, so with queries per month and number of subgraphs, where are your end of 2021 goals? Oh, <laughs> yeah, um, I actually don't have a goal for this for 2021 because
1: I think that the nature of the transition to the decentralized network, is is going to be potentially a bit of a discontinuity. So really what I'm kind of focused on whenever we do something new at the beginning, we're focused on much more qualitative sorts of measures. So like you know, is the the query market developing in a healthy way? Are the indexers happy with the way they're able to set their prices? Are the consumers happy with how the prices are working out? You know, how how can we lower the friction of kind of migrating over and just like educating people on what it means to actually be running on this like decentralized infrastructure? So, you know, for this year, I think we're gonna be focused on a lot more of those kind of like qualitative uh, sorts of, uh, uh, metrics
0: 2021 is the year of decentralization for the graph. Uh, Yaniv, thanks so much for joining us on this bankless AMA. It's been a pleasure. I know the community benefited a tremendous amount from your insight, and thanks for building what you have built in this protocol.
1: Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Guys, if we were doing a regular podcast, I think uh, we might want to subtitle this Your Parent, Your, your Kid your kids will be working for protocols because there are so many different work opportunities out there. David and I, we talk about all the time that we actually work for protocols ourselves. Um, And there are opportunities to get plugged into the graph. We will include a link to our tactic on how to become a, a curator, delegator and indexer on the graph in the show notes of this video in this podcast. Guys, this has been a Bankless community. Ask me anything. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. There are risks out there. You could lose what you put in. DeFi is the frontier, but thanks for joining us. This has been an episode of Bankless.
2: And if you are still watching on the YouTube, thanks for being here. Make sure to like and subscribe the video and and stay tuned to the Bankless channel for future AMAs like this one. And we're done, boom. Or off air, awesome. Thanks,
1: guys. That was killer. Uh,
2: yeah, that's gonna be that's hot. A lot of that's fun. Hot. Okay, so that video, that's really good. I'm actually gonna pull down that video, do a little bit of editing, and re upload it. And then the podcast is gonna come out shortly thereafter. That
1: sounds good. Yeah, really appreciate uh, where you guys took the conversation. I think we're, we're able to cover some some yeah. good ground. I learned, I learned yeah, that it's awesome for sure.
0: Yeah, so did I. We we learned the most from these.